Give your undivided attention to the reading of the word and the preaching of the word. St. John chapter 13, beginning with verse number third, excuse me, St. John chapter 13, beginning with verse number one. St. John chapter 13, beginning with verse number one. Hear the words of St. John. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I love that. And supper being ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father hath given him all things into his hands, and that he would come from God, and he was going to God, rose from the supper, laid aside his garments, and took a towel and girded himself. And that he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with a towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter and said to him, Lord, then came to Simon Peter and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered and said, what am I doing that you do not understand now? But you will know after this. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered and said, If I do not wash your feet, you will have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, He who is bath needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, he sat down again and said to them, do you know, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you say, well, for so I am. If I then your Lord and your teacher have washed your feet, you also to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. And most assuredly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Just for a few moments I want to preach on the thought, it's never about the dirt. It's never about the dirt. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to uh, look at your word today. And I pray that our ears and our hearts would be open and receptive to your word. We bind, rebuke, and bring to no effect all demonic forces of the enemy. And we thank you that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Let your word go forth in power and boldness. Open up our ears and our hearts. We lay aside distractions. We lay aside the weak. We lay aside what's troubling us. And if we honor your word, Lord, then you will honor us with your voice. So we honor you by opening up our ears and our hearts to hear what you want to say. And the church said a great big, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. It's not about the dirt. Will you say that with me? Everybody say with me. It's not... Come on, say it really loud. One, two, three. It's not about the dirt. It's not about the dirt. I think you would agree with me. Um, I think we live in a pretty, very proud and egotistical world. It's almost considered normal and acceptable for people nowadays to promote themselves. Pride runs through the church like a sewer system. We relish in our doctrines and our degrees and our promotions. We've become very egotistical in our approach in the kingdom of God. Some churches have the tendency to sell the gospel instead of telling the gospel. We have become a very egotistical generation. Humility is almost considered feminine. If you're humble and nice, something must be wrong with you. A man shouldn't be nice. A man shouldn't be so humble. Our idea of humility is really not biblical. 
We look around in America and we're more concerned about apple pies and waving flags and riding in our Chevy than we are concerned about what the scripture says about humility. We fight against one another, political parties, and dishonor one another and say whatever comes to our mind. And, and so humility is not considered a great virtue in the church, nor even in our nation. We're taught to speak our mind. We're taught to be mean. We're taught to stand up for our rights and we're taught to speak what comes to our mind. And humility doesn't seem to be very popular in that context, does it? Self-glory and self-esteem and self-love seems to be very popular. Go to a bookstore, especially a Christian bookstore, there's a plethora of books about seven steps to a new you. Seven Steps to a New Healthy Self-Esteem. And all of those books are good and great in its context. But the scripture tells us over and over that we are to deny ourselves and to pick up our cross and follow him. You see, narcissism and pride and egotistical behaviors is quite popular. And you know that quite popular nowadays. But in the kingdom of God, my friends, the kingdom of God is different. L let me say this with all sincerity. Anything you read in the Bible and the culture of the kingdom of God is backwards. It's an upside down kingdom. It's a backwards theology. If you want to go up, the scripture says you must go. If you want to receive, you got to let go of what's in your hand. If you want to be the greatest of them all, the scripture says you got to be the servant of them all. You see, it's a, it's a backwards kingdom. It's an upside down kingdom. And, and the culture of the kingdom of God, and what do I mean by that? It's a mindset. It's a way of thinking. When the scripture uses the word world in the New Testament, stay away from the world, abstain from the world, it's talking about a mindset. It's talking about characteristics, a mindset that produces a behavior. And a lot of people in the church world, and I think you would agree with this, they're infiltrated with the culture of the world. They make decisions based upon the lens of humanism. And the scripture calls us to make decisions based upon a different culture. Generosity and humility and self-denial, prayer, scripture reading, a spirit of meekness is not weakness. It's kingdom principles. It's a kingdom culture. And that is why people who walk in humility and walk in meekness and walk in generosity and they speak, the, it's almost foreign because it's a different culture. It's a different mindset. And when you walk in a different culture and a different mindset and you live your life according to a different standard and a different culture, you will stick out. You might be labeled a Jesus freaking weird. You, you, you might have people call your names because really, if you really want to get down to it, following Jesus, it demands obedience. It, it, it demands that you are rooted in a different system of thinking. It demands that there is a different culture, a different way of behavior. I love the, the word rooted. It comes from, a, I think, a Latin word which means radical. Isn't that interesting? The word rooted comes from a word which means radical. Radical Christians are really just rooted Christians in biblical theology, which produces a behavior that is counterculture to the world. That's what it means to be radical. 
It means to be rooted in a different culture, in a different mindset. And listen, my friends, most of you attend church once a week. And you are infiltrated with the culture of the world six days a week. You are around people of the culture of the world. You are around thinking of the world. You are around behaviors that is countercultural to the culture of the kingdom of God. And sometimes on Sunday morning, there's a battle between the culture of the kingdom and the culture of the world. I know I should worship God. I know I should give. I know I should be faithful. I know I should serve. I just don't have time to serve. I don't. You see, we're infiltrated with the culture of the world. The culture of the world says your business comes first. The culture of the kingdom says kingdom comes first before your business. You see? The culture of the world says the electric bill is first. The culture of the kingdom says you give God first and he'll take care of the electric bill. The culture of the world says you don't need to really worship God when things are going really bad. You really just need to sit there and have a pity party. But the culture of the kingdom says he deserves everything even when I find myself in a mess. You see, and that is why you have to train yourself to be godly. The Spirit of God is already in you, but you got to work out your salvation. You got to work, you got to train yourself for godliness. You got to train yourself to be in a different culture and a different mindset. And listen, when you do that, it's counterculture to the world. You're going to stick out. You might become rooted, which really means you're just radical. I don't know about you, but I want to be a radical believer. Can I hear an amen? And one of the ways that we got to do that is we got to change our lens. How are you making decisions in your life? Your decisions determine your destiny. You are a sum total of all the decisions you've ever made in your life. If you don't like your life, it's because of the decisions you've made. You are a sum total of all the decisions that you've made. Decisions determine destiny. And it's important that in the kingdom of God, we make decisions that are aligned with the culture of the kingdom. Every day you have to make decisions. And you've got to be careful that you make decisions that are in alignment with the kingdom of God, not with the world. Amen? You've got to make decisions because decisions determine destiny. Decisions determine destiny. And one of the ways that you can make a decision is by making decisions through a Christian worldview. Everything around you, you interpret it. The things that's happening in the world, you are interpreting that. The fires in California, you, my friend, have an interpretation of that. Some of you will flip through the TV and you'll think to yourself, boy, the world is just really bad. The world is going to hell in a handbasket. If somebody wouldn't be smoking a cigarette and throw the butt out in the fire, it wouldn't have never started. You can interpret events. You do it every day. You have an interpretation of the pandemic in the world. You, you are looking at the things and the events of the world and you are interpreting those events by a worldview. And most of our worldview and the lens that we see through is really humanistic. We're interpreting it by the world. And we as Christians got to interpret the things of life and what's happening in the world through a biblical lens, through a Christian worldview. The fires in California, is there a biblical answer for it? The death and the dying, do we interpret it through the scripture, the lens of the scripture? Or are you interpreting it through the lens of being a Republican or a Democrat? How you raise your children. You're raising your children through a lens, how you see things. Your money, the way you 
deal with your money is you do it because of a worldview that you have. If you put God first and God comes number one and you're immersed in the culture of the kingdom, you make decisions based on the kingdom of God and the culture that you live in. You live in a different culture. You don't live in the culture of the world. And because of that, your decisions reflect the culture that you live in. And I believe that the tension is, is that we say we are in the kingdom of God, but our decisions don't reflect that culture. Let me say that again. We say we're in the kingdom. We say that we love God. We say that we want to give our all, but our decisions don't reflect the culture by which we name. Oh, I'm such a committed Christian. Committed. But you're interpreting your commitment by becoming once a week. That's your interpretation of it. You, you interpret it. You have a worldview. But if you really look at Scripture, how, what does Scripture say about church attendance? Not what your job says or what your family says or what the world says. What does the Bible say? How does the Bible say to do your marriage? How does the Bible say to raise your children? How does the Bible say to pastor the church? What does the Scripture say? What is the lens by which you are making decisions? This is some good preaching this morning. That's all right. That's all right. And I look around in our culture and I see Christians saying how radical they are and rooted they are. And yet their church attendance reflects that they're not radical. When was the last time we shared our faith with someone on the job? I mean, really, are we that radical? Really? I mean, seriously, are we really radical? Do we have an American theology or do we have a biblical theology? Boy, I think, I think I'm done preaching. Is this all right? Can we go home now? It's more about being a Republican and a Democrat. It's, it's, I am not in, I'm not conducting my life in the culture of a different party. I'm in a different world. I'm in a different culture. I am in the kingdom of God. And if I am in the kingdom of God and immersed in that culture, then every decision I make reflects the culture that I name. Can I hear an amen? Your... You'll your want to has to be so great that it converts into a, a do. Nobody is responsible for your life but you. Nobody is responsible for your life but you. And every time I read the Bible, I love the Bible. And I hope that you're reading the Bible this year. Remember, I asked you to read through it. And if you're not, get on board. Let's read the Bible. If you're behind, keep reading. Keep pressing through. One of the things I found in the Bible is that Jesus in the Gospels always demanded responsibility from his followers. He even demanded responsibility for those who were sick. You remember the man with the withered hand into the synagogue? Jesus didn't immediately heal him. Jesus gave him a responsibility. Stretch out your hand. And then the man was healed. Sometimes we expect in church and live in our life, we expect God to do it all. And God is saying, no, I require a responsibility from you. You need to stretch your hand out first. There's a part for you to play. The woman with the issue of blood was sick, but she had a responsibility, and her responsibility was to press through the crowd. Blind Barnabas wasn't responsible for his blindness, but he had a responsibility. What was the responsibility? He cried out. And in the Bible, the prescription for you to get healthy is for you to take responsibility. 
for you to take responsibility. That's the prescription to get healthy. Stretch out your hand. And he stretched his hand out. Take up your bed and walk. The Bible says the man who was lame took up his bed and he began to walk. He was healed. See, there's a responsibility. There's a responsibility for us to stretch our hands out. There's a responsibility for us to press through. There's a responsibility for us to pick up the mat and walk. Because that is the prescription for healthiness in the New Testament is that there's a responsibility for us to play. And that is why Paul said, we are co-labors together with God. We work together with God. You see, as I look at the Bible, I find that in this story, the culture of the kingdom was so prevalent, but they couldn't see it. It was odd to these people. It was so different. Jesus washing the people's feet. You know what's really funny? I mean, this is never discussed, but this is kind of weird, but it's scripture, but nobody really. It's really weird that a 30-year-old man hangs out with 12 men for three and a half years. That's really weird, isn't it? A single 30-year-old man hangs out with 12 men for three years. Some of you have been so culturized by the world, you immediately would think something else. Jesus is weird. What's wrong with him? But he conducted his life in a different culture. Different mindset. It was counterculture to the world. But Jesus had a mission. His mission wasn't to hang out down at the Piggly Wiggly to get everybody's approval. His mission was to come to seek and save those who were lost. And he made decisions that reflected the culture that he named. And in this story, it's very countercultural, isn't it? Jesus is with some folks. And the Bible says that in this story, there's a, and I'm not going to be long because I, I think this is, this is so awesome. I was reading this story and I found it. It was so, so, so much stuff just started popping out. Now, I'm not really preaching this morning. I'm really sharing what's inside of me as I was learning, reminiscing and studying the scriptures. I am um, and I'm, you know, went over this scripture, went over this scripture and prayed over this scripture. So all of this stuff is just coming out of me because this is stuff that I feel like produces a different culture. You know, there are four things I believe every person should have. That's chemistry. All right. That's character. All right. Competency and culture. Those four C's are very fundamental in anything that you do. Church, work, family, and life. Those four things never change. You should be a man of character. You're a principled man, a man of, of, of value, principle. You have some non-negotiable principle. It's who you are when nobody's looking. That's character. Competency. You're, you have a skill, and you use that skill for the kingdom of God. You don't sit in a church pew to sit sour and soak. If you're called to do something and you have a skill, then you need to use it. There's, there's a competency there. If you, if you know how to do it, then you need to do it. Number three, there's chemistry. Because you can be a person of character and you can have all the skills in the world and nobody like you because of your attitude. So it's chemistry. It's people skills. When you walk in the building, you give two impressions. There you are or here am I. It's chemistry. Do you flow well with people? Do you love people? And number four, the culture that we create is based upon those other three. You see all four of those things in this passage. And in this passage, in John chapter th uh, 13, you find that Jesus begins to wash the disciples' feet 
And Peter, get this, Peter is in a different culture. Lord, you better not wash my feet. Don't do that, Lord. No, 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 I should be washing your feet. And Jesus says, Peter, Peter, you're not in the right culture. You're not in the right mindset. I'm going to wash your feet first. I'm going to be the greatest servant of them all. Peter wasn't in the right culture, was he? He didn't have the right mindset, did he? It was odd for the teacher to wash the student's feet. But Jesus said, I'm in a different culture. It's a different mindset. Different way of viewing things. And in this story, you see the the culture of humility. You see the culture of honor in this story. I want you to see that it's really interesting to me that there was a different culture. Jesus was laying a different culture. What was the Beatitudes? Jesus was laying a different mindset. He was, he was teaching them a different way of thinking. And here, not only did Jesus, he already taught them, now Jesus is acting out what he already taught. Because it's not a just enough to talk about it. You've got to live it. Jesus spoke about humility. Jesus spoke about being a servant. Jesus spoke about the greatest of all of these. You have to be a servant. He's already taught these disciples these principles. And here in this story, Jesus said, I've already taught you. Go back and look at all the red. But now I'm going to demonstrate it before you. I'm going to live out this culture before you. I'm going to show you the type of world that I want you to create. And my friends, what kind of culture are you making at your home? What kind of culture are you making at the church? What kind of culture are you making at your job? Are you the same? Are you being infiltrated with the same culture of the world? Do you stick out? Do you live your life so differently that there's a difference between you and them? Is there a separation of cultures? I love Jesus because Jesus hung around with sinners. He ate with sinners, didn't he? He was always eating with sinners. I love Jesus. He was always going out to eat. Jesus was always eating with them. But that's the principle of this. Contact without contamination. He never let them contaminate him. He contaminated them. Can I say that again? Everybody say with me. Contact without contamination. That's exactly, that's how we are to witness to the world. I'm going to contact you. I'm going to be in contact with you. I'm going to share the gospel with Jesus. I'm going to share the gospel of Jesus with you. I'm going to feed the poor. But your culture is not going to contaminate me, but the culture that I bring is going to contaminate you. And that's why with social justice in the world, if we're feeding the poor without sharing the gospel, the culture of the world will infiltrate you. Jesus taught them and then he fed them. It's not enough just to feed the poor. You've got to feed them and preach to them. It's not enough just to wash their feet. You've got to wash their feet and share the gospel with them. It's a combination of word and spirit working together. Jesus is demonstrating to us that there's a different culture here. I'm living this mind. I'm living this culture out before you. And it's interesting. And this is just a few things quickly. I'm going to go through it. These are a few different things I saw of a culture that was being created in this story. Number one, you find that his feet comes before other feet. Now, get this. I just read to you, just give me, I don't know, eight minutes. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go through it really quick. In this story, Jesus is washing their feet, namely Peter's feet. But in chapter number 
12, chapter 12, the chapter before Jesus washing their feet, guess what happens? Chapter number 12 and verse number 3. If they could turn there really quick. John, uh, John chapter 12, verse number uh, 2, I think. 2 or 3. Do you see what's happening? The chapter before Jesus washes their feet, guess who comes in the building? Mary. She takes a very costly oil. She breaks it, and she begins to wash Jesus' what? Feet. Now, hold on here. Let's stop here. Let's have a little Bible study here. Chapter 12, Mary washes his feet. Chapter 13, Jesus washes his disciples' feet. You see the different culture that's being made here? Because in chapter number 12, guess what Judas said? Chapter number 12 and verse number, verse number 4. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was to betray him, said, verse number 5, get this, don't lose me. Verse number 5, why was this oil sold? Why was not this oil sold for 300 denarii given to the poor? That's the culture of the world. Why do you need to go to church so much? Why do you need to give so much? Why do you need to serve so much? That's the culture of the world. And Judas had the culture of the world. And the problem is, Judas lived with Jesus and he never changed his culture. And some of us has come to church, but you're still not making the decisions that need to be made to make the culture of the kingdom of God in your workplace, in your home, and the church. He was with Jesus, but his culture never changed. His mindset never changed. He still thought like the world. Well, you should have just took Mary. Why in the world are you why are you selling? Why are you breaking that and pouring it over? His, you could have sold it and given it to the poor because the culture of the world talks about goodness instead of godliness. Godliness states that his feet comes first. Good says you should give it to the poor. Different, different mindset. Different mindset. Mary said his feet, she was living, a, she was in a different culture than Judas. I'm about to shout up in here. Can I tell you something? Judas lived with Jesus for three and a half years and his culture never changed. But Mary had an experience that changed the way she thought and she began to live out that culture in front of Judas. <laughs> Mary said his feet comes first. And if you're going to change the culture of your world, you got to learn this first principle. You got to listen to Pastor Josh. If you want to change your life and change the culture you live in, the very first thing you got to understand is before family and before job and before money and before set, before anything that comes, his feet is number one in my life. And if you can listen, listen. St. Augustine said it like this, the problem with believers is misplaced priorities. Misplaced love. We're loving the wrong things in order. Mary said his feet comes first and then Jesus washed their feet. His feet is first before we wash their feet. Can I hear an amen? And that is why, that is why the apostle said, or Paul said, that the pastor, look at me, church. They said the pastor's responsibility is not to pray for everybody in the hospital. The pastor's responsibility is not to run here and there. His responsibility is prayer and the ministry of the word. In other words, his responsibility is to be at his feet before I serve your feet. And the problem is, the problem is, is that pastors commit suicide and they give up in the ministry and they leave because they're serving 300 feet before they serve his feet. And 
if you don't get this principle right now, your life will never turn out the way it should be. If you call yourself a believer, his feet becomes first before everybody else's feet. His feet becomes number one. What do I mean by that? Your relationship with God is number one. It trumps it all. He is your master, no one else. His feet. Is this all right? Is this all right? Is this all right? I said, is this all right? How many more minutes do I have, brother? And you timed it for how long? 37 minutes. Well, you're giving me grace. Two extra minutes. Thank you. High five here. So I got, I got a few more minutes here. Number two. Sitting at his feet keeps our heart right. Who said it is? Who, who was at his feet? Mary. Who wasn't at his feet? Judas. Whose heart was wrong? Let me tell you something. If all you've done for six days is immerse yourself in the culture of the world, when you come to this culture, your heart's not going to be right in worship. You're going to sit right here and you're going to criticize everybody that worships. You're going to criticize the preacher. All he talks about is this. All he talks about, you're going to sit right there with your heart wrong because all you've done for six, weeks, six days a week is you have immersed yourself in the culture of the world and you come into a different culture with a different language and a different behavior. You're going to sit right there with your heart wrong just like Judas sat right there with his heart wrong while she was giving her all. And as a pastor, I see it all the time. I see it all the time. I see it all the time. It's an indication you haven't been at his feet. Because really, is anything worth really losing? Is there anything through the week that's really worth losing? The priority of putting God first. Judas's heart was wrong because he didn't sit at the feet of Jesus. Judas was serving the feet of the Jewish leaders. I'll sell him for 30 pieces of silver. He was, he was at their feet. Is it possible to be with the Lord and not at his feet? Yes, Judas was with him and not at his feet. Number three, quickly, you got to keep the feet washed. What did Jesus say? Jesus was very clear about this. Jesus said in chapter number 13, you remember what Jesus said, chapter 13, verse 10, John 13, verse 10. Jesus is saying this to Peter. Peter said, Lord, don't wash my feet. I don't need you to wash my feet. And Jesus said, listen, he who is bath needs only to wash his feet. He says, he says, you're already clean, Peter. Your body is already clean. I just want to wash your feet. Listen to pastor. In a practical sense, when you become a Christian, when you become saved, you have had a spiritual bath. You are already clean. But can I tell you something? Even though your body, your spirit may be clean, your feet represents your activity. And sometimes being in the world six days a week, you get dirty feet. And when we come to the house of God, we need to allow the Lord. I know I'm already saved, but Lord, I got some dirt on my feet. I need you to cleanse. Is there anybody in the building say, Lord, I need you to clean my feet today? My heart's right. I love you, Lord. I want to serve you. Peter said, Lord, I love you. I want you to wash not only my feet, but wash my body. And that's the paradox of Christianity. Some people come up here and get saved six times a week. You don't need to get saved every time you come to church. You are already clean. Your feet's dirty. There's a difference between being out of fellowship and out of covenant with the Lord. Sin breaks the fellowship. Continual, habitual sin will break the covenant. But just because you mess up and you sin and you struggle doesn't mean you're backslidden. 
Just keep your feet washed. And every time you come to church, if you need to come to the front, you say, Pastor, I know I'm already saved, but I know I've looked at some things, I've done some things, I've said some things that wasn't really right. That's all right. Keep coming to church. If I got to, I'll keep washing your feet as long as I stay at his feet. And the problem is, if I don't stay at his feet, hold on church, if I don't stay at his feet, I will criticize the dirt on your feet. Did you all just hear what I just said? If I don't stay at his feet, I will criticize how much you have dirt on your feet. And that's what happens in the church. You can tell a spirit of negativity. I don't know how they did that. I don't know. what well, She was out doing that. I, I don't know how God blessed. You know what? You're not sitting at his feet. And you're sitting there egotistical and narcissist with your arms folded. And you're folding your eyes. And you're complaining. And you know why you don't? You haven't been at his feet. And when you get at his feet, it breaks your heart to become more like him. I'm going to notice the dirt on your feet, but I'm not going to criticize the dirt on your feet. If I don't stay at his feet, I'll notice how dirty your feet are. And number four, our feet must be in his hands. John 13, verse 6, Peter said, Lord, you should never wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. Verse 8. You don't understand. Go back to verse 7. You don't understand what I'm doing now, but you'll understand later. You don't understand the culture that I'm trying to create, Peter. Peter, I'm creating a different way of living. I'm creating a different way of thinking. I'm, I'm creating a different way of behavior. You don't understand it now, Peter, but eventually you'll understand what I'm doing. God didn't call you to understand everything. God called you to trust him. Our feet must be in his hands. You know what the Lord was saying? You got to submit your feet to me, Peter. Lord, I don't want you to wash my feet. Peter, if I don't wash your feet, if you don't give me your feet, you have no part with me. And you know what the Holy Spirit is saying today? If you don't surrender, I know you're already clean, your body's clean, but if you don't surrender the path and your activity and the daily routine of your life, if you don't submit it to the Lord, You'll have no part with him. He wants to have, he wants you to be rooted. He wants you to be radical. Number five, he says, this is an example to you. Isn't that what he said? He said, Peter, he said, verse number 10, he says, he who is bath only needs to wash his feet, but completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. Who's he speaking of? Judas. Not all of you are clean. Now, y'all's feet are dirty, but somebody in the building, which is Judas, he ain't all the way clean. Verse 11, for he knew that would betray him. Therefore, he said, not all is clean. Verse 12, so when he had washed their feet, he'd taken his garments and sat down and said, do you not know, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, for well, I, I am. And, and if, if you say that I'm your teacher and your Lord and have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. For this is the example that I have set before you that you should do. What is he saying? Is Jesus saying every time we come to church, we need to have a foot washing service? No. Thank God, because you don't want to see my feet. They're clean feet. I just had a few ingrown toenails throughout the years. How many's ever had ingrown toenails? They hurt, don't they? So, 
is Jesus saying, what I want you to do is come and wash everybody's feet every Sunday? No. Now, I grew up in the old school where we did that. How many have ever been to a good old-fashioned foot washing service? You've been in, you've been in one, a good, good fashion foot wash service? When was the last time y'all been in one? A long time ago. I think what Jesus is trying to say here, it's not about physically washing somebody's feet. It's about an approach, a mindset, a view. It's a culture. It's a decision. It's honor. It's servanthood. It's this is the example that I'm giving you. Jesus is saying, I am your master. I am your teacher. And I'm washing your feet. I'm giving you the example that the greatest among you, that no matter how great you are, you're called to serve and you're called to honor. Let me tell you, can I tell you something? You're called to honor people even when they have dirty feet. Does it mean Jesus approved of everything that Peter did? But Jesus was shown an example that I want to honor him. You know, church, Jesus demonstrated humility, service, and he demonstrated honor. What is honor? Honor is just placing value on something. Jesus placed value on them because they were made in the image of God. Every person has value. And when we honor somebody, you know what we're doing? We're recognizing that they were made in the image of God. That no matter what they've done or how they've acted or whatever view they may have, we still honor that person as a human being because they were made in the image of God. Does that make sense? But do you know the scripture says that there should be double honor to some folks? 1 Timothy 5.17. Jesus, or not Jesus, but the writer here said, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of... What? Double honor. The word honor is respect, to place value upon. So every person deserves to be honored. But, Jesus, but, but, but the writer here, Paul said, but some people deserve to have double honor. Now that's a foreign concept, especially in America, because we all want to have rights, and everybody should be treated equally. There's some truth to that. You should have a right, but you don't have extra rights. It's not about being right in the culture of the kingdom. It's about righteousness in the culture of the kingdom. So although everyone is to be honored because they're made in the image of God, some are deserved to be double honor. You know, the scripture says for us to honor our parents, for this is right. The scripture says for us to honor the Lord and to give our first fruits to the Lord. The Bible says that we are to honor our leaders. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2, 17. You know what Peter said here? Look at what Peter said here. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 17. Quickly, they'll put it behind me, and I want you to see this. He says, you are to love everyone, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. The Bible says in Mark chapter 6, verse number 1, you remember the familiar story. Mark chapter 6 and verse number 1, the Bible says that Jesus himself was preaching and his disciples was following. Verse number 2, the Bible says that when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogues and they were hearing him and they were astonished of all the things that he was doing. Where in the world did this man come from? The Bible says in verse number 3, the people in, people in the, the village 
They said, well, you know, he's the son of Mary. He's the brother of James. He's, he's this, uh, the brother of uh, Judas and Simon and is his sisters here. And they were offended at him. So they were asking, who is this man? And they're outside of the synagogue saying, well, you know, he's the son of Mary. He's the, his brothers and sisters are there. And Jesus immediately said, a prophet is not without honor, except in his own country and his own relatives. Jesus is saying, I'm not even honored among my own family. They're questioning me. Jesus said, they didn't even honor me. Honor is an attitude. You can hear their attitude. Oh, he's just the son of Mary. Ah, oh, his brothers and sisters are there. Verse number five, the scripture goes on. He couldn't even do mighty works there except a few. He couldn't work mightily there because of their dishonor. Let me say this, church. If we want God to move in this church, then we've got to create a culture of honor and love and respect for everyone. Did you hear? He couldn't do mighty miracles because of their unbelief. And the point is this. The point is this. The point is this, whatever you honor, the level of honor determines the level that you will receive. If you don't honor the leader, you're not going to receive from the leader. If you don't honor your parents, you won't receive from them. And you all know that we live in a culture of dishonor. I mean... We, we are, really. I've never seen so much smart-aleck, rebellious, neck-popping, finger-snapping, finger-throwing people in all the days of my life. And guess what? Those neck-popping, finger-snapping, smart-aleck, rebellious people, that's where we're going to pick our leaders from in about 10 to 20 years. They're going to be our next president. They're going to be in the next police officer. They're going to be in the next school teachers. The way we raise our children in dishonor will reflect the way this government will be ran in the future. Where are we going to pick our leaders from? We don't go to Mars and pick them. The level of honor, the level of honor that we give determines the level that we'll receive back. Amen. Amen.